Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC, and is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG-related. I am your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my two co-hosts here, Ryan. Is that what our intro sounds like? Yes, sir, it is. And Scott. Yes, it is, Ryan. You should probably listen to the episodes every now and then. <laughs> the, the weird psychobilly freakout part is new to me, okay? I haven't heard that one. <laughs> well, welcome, chat. Welcome, everyone, on Twitch. Uh, I have a very, very exciting episode. But before we dive into it, I have something equally exciting to share with everyone. I would like to go ahead, before we get started, to thank our two new patrons that we have gotten. Uh, one, Abby Peterson, and one, Alan Michael Havens. Thank you very, very much for becoming patrons of Polyhedron. You have ex- helped us support the show, expand the show, and make it more available for everyone involved. Every single one of you is a big deal to us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge, big, big anime hearts. Anime hearts. Um, but it's not us three that you're really all here to, you know... Like watch and listen to. Yeah, you can you can do us us jackasses anytime. Yeah, but really, I know who you are here for, and it's three uh, developers from Onyx Path. They have so graciously decided to come on the show live in studio via Skype. I got to do this every time. Uh, uh, and they are Eddie Webb, hello. Ian Watson, and uh, Danielle Harper. Howdy. Hello. hello, guys. How are you all doing? Good. Excellent. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> well enough. Fantastic radio. Well, uh, Eddie Webb's here. He's the in-house developer for Onyx Path, uh, as well as Ian Watson. He's the lead developer for Onyx Path. And Danielle Harper here is the system developer uh, for the StoryPath system, which is the system that is used between the new Scion game and the Trinity Continuum. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I can tell you right now, Matthew, that you're not right. Oh, uh, well, at least... I, I, was li- I was listening better than you, apparently. <laughs> I am dealing with like a thousand different things. It's true. It's like a mad scientist workshop watching him do stuff. He's just <laughs> unplugging things, replugging things, telling me to shut up, although I don't know if that has anything to do with the plugs. <laughs> but uh, Ian, you're you're the uh, the developer for the Trinity Continuum, and Danielle, you're the uh, story path developer for Trinity specifically, yes? Yes, that is correct. That's yes. what I thought. There you go. Okay. <laughs> they are my backup brains because I would lose my head. Uh, but anyways, we are here with them so that they can pitch their Kickstarter to us and to you, all the audience, because it, this is the most excellent game line that we have talked at nauseum about the, for the last three episodes. And, and it's not going to end here. Like, I'm, I'm going to bring it up more times because it's just so good. <laughs> to get people up to speed, if they haven't listened to the last three episodes, um, can you give us a brief rundown of what the Trinity Continuum is? Sure. The uh, the Trinity Continuum is sort of uh, an action adventure RPG. The original edition was Three Arrows, uh, sort of a science fiction game in the twenty one twenties where you play Scions, a uh, superheroes game set in the the near future of two thousand and eight where you play super uh, people with superpowers, mm-hmm. and uh, a pulp game in the nineteen twenties called Adventure, where uh, you played two-fisted heroes of Daring Do. The new edition, it's same thing, except we're tweaking the timeline a little bit, plus we've got a new modern-day setting. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. Um, 
Does that modern day setting have like a special title to it, like a name, like all the others? Uh, it does not. It's just it's sort of the default setting in the Trinity Continuum core rulebook. Excellent. And can uh, you tell us a little bit more specifically about the the Kickstarter that's running right now? Absolutely. Uh, the Kickstarter is for two two books: the Trinity Continuum core rulebook, which has all the story path rules in it, and rules for uh, creating a talent, which is uh, the modern name of what Adventure calls Daredevils, and uh, that modern-day setting. Right out the bat, you could play Leverage, you could play Eureka, you could play the Born Identity, you could play all those sorts of things. Cool. And then the second book is Trinity Continuum Aeon, which is the future setting. So that builds off the StoryPath core rules with Scion-specific rules so you can do all that sort of thing. And if you if you don't want to play a Scion, the great thing is you can mix and match, do whatever you want. You can uh, you can grab the talent rules and play a talent in the Aeon era. Hmm. They were called Mesomorphs? Uh, paramorphs. Paramorphs, that was it. Well, I, there, there, was, there was never... Okay, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. Uh, <laughs> if, if I recall <laughs> correctly, the term paramorph was sort of nebulously applied, and it was kind of implied that maybe there was only ever one of them, a.k.a. Mr. Max Mercer. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they, 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 were, they were real squirrely about that term in the, in, in the, in the books. Yeah, p- paramorph is a term that, in theory, applies to all talents, but because what a talent is is just it's someone with an extraordinary amount of skill and luck. Now, is that because... There's something more than human, like Scions and Novas are, or is that just because, you know, they're skilled and lucky? It's really hard to pin down, even in-universe, exactly what a talent is. So, the only known paramorph is the one who's got the actual obvious powers, which are, uh, which is Max Mercer. Mm, interesting. So, in theory, all talents are paramorphs, but the only one they know for sure is a paramorph is Max. Because we can quantify... His abilities to do shenanigans. Well, because he he got the big dose, the biggest dose of the the Hammersmith blast. So he, he right. yeah. Which I've, uh, something I've noticed. I mean, uh, I know all three of us have backed the Kickstarter, unless we have access to the preview documents. I noticed a little tidbit in there that actually it, that it seems like the talents are getting a little bit more defined with the concept of flux and sort of the the multiverse aspect of the continuum. Yes. Yes and no. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no. Well, okay. So. Yes, Flux is kind of like this energy that kind of drives their inspiration, but they don't actually directly interact with Flux, mm-hmm. not in a conscious kind of way, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's something that I, I noticed, uh, sort of as a as a sort of a theme. You you guys are certainly going pretty pretty hard in the paint on the multiverse uh, sci-fi aspect. It was there in the earlier game lines, uh, and sort of on the edge, but I'm noticing it in a lot more places in, in the documents that you guys released. That, that's my fault. Okay, <laughs> I mean, hey, that's awesome. Um, we thank you. It it, it like I said, it was like. I was a little surprised when I first started some of it, but as I thought about it, it, it just made sense. So I think it's a really cool addition to the the the, the mythos of the of the the universe. Yeah, that's something that um, that we wanted to get done like from the get go, both to support the idea that you know your game is just as official as anything we do. If mm-hmm. you want to run aberrant and not have anyone like not have everyone doomed to go crazy in the future. That's just as canon as our answer. Go ahead, run with it, have fun. Oh, but where's the fun in that? 
Yeah, then what, what are we going to argue about? <laughs> I just love being railroaded. I love being told what my character thinks and feels and what they will do. <laughs> I know, right? But another thing that supports is uh, if we want to do additional eras or if we want to do something you know really weird, we can throw that in without necessarily interrupting sort of the, the default timeline, if you will. That's mm. pretty cool. I, I, I really like that. So another thing uh, I've been I've been thinking a lot about uh, the Trinity Continuum for for a couple, past couple of weeks just a, now, just a wee, wee bit, uh, and and yeah. let's face it, decades. Um, but more and more recent, and, and something that that kind of popped into my head is thinking about the the you know the, the first edition is it was really forward thinking in terms of like multiculturalism and inclusivity. Like if there's a game that could rest on its laurels on that front, it would be the Trinity Games. Um, so I kind of wanted to like get you guys' take on on that, especially considering you know you've got your your friends in, in uh, the new new version of White Wolf who are making this big push towards well we want to make our games more inclusive and more global and whatnot, and y'all have got a game that's kind of already done all that. Yeah, I mean big big um, like so much respect to um, Andrew Bates who was the original developer because like the time between when the original Aeon was conceived to when it was released was only about 10 months. I know. That blew my mind when I read that. So, like, he, he did an incredible amount of work in, in that brief time. So, like, huge respect to, to him for laying all that groundwork for us. That mm -hmm. was, like, that was just amazing work. So, I, I guess I'm kind of wondering, have you guys paid any special mind to, to carrying that legacy of multiculturalism and inclusivity forward? Absolutely. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, if you like, just look at the the sample characters. Like, not I mean, not characters, but you know, the illustrations mm -hmm. that we've got on Kickstarter so far. We've tried to get people of different ethnicities in there, different genders. So, you know, it's not just you know, straight white dude. The game. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and and I intend, like, if I have any creative control, which I may not, because I'm I'm gonna have to like just doing systems and then I have to run away and go do other systems um, but we're going to be doing a bunch of ready made characters mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. just straight up the, the modern day to kind of show people here are the kinds of stories that you can play with the modern day setting right. and those will be diverse characters Fantastic. to kind of show off the diversity of you know they're not just going to be Americans either they're not just going to be, you know, African-Americans or Asian-Americans. They're mm -hmm. going to be and this group, you know, and this person comes directly from this African country or this person comes from, you know, maybe this European country, but is also African or, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to try to show off our diversity in a worldwide scope. And that will be a good place for that. But there's already kind of in the art and in the descriptions a lot of diversity kind of baked into the game. That's that's truly excellent. Like some uh, a place where where the Trinity Universe uh, and the Continuum really kind of hit me personally um, uh, is that uh, my wife was raised as a Baha'i. Uh, so when I first met her, I already knew what a Baha'i was because of Trinity. Um, wow. And I like I gave her the the ISRA book. Uh, and I was like, do me a favor and read this over and just, like, tell me what you think about it. And she was all like, holy crap, they're talking about my religion. Like, I've never seen anything 
really reference it in a form of pulp culture. So she was really impressed by it, and that that just made me feel like really cool. And it was a, it was a point of connection when we were first meet, meeting that I could kind of glom onto. Oh, that's super cool, actually. Well, that's great. That's- Super sweet. And I actually, ha- I have a question from my wife regarding that. Ooh, do, do you, here it comes. Do you know, uh, on the original development team, was there someone of a Baha- of the Baha'i faith, or uh, was that just something that, that someone picked up on? I have no idea. That's well before my time. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. That, is, that predates all of us. <laughs> it does. Uh, the well, ancient question that they cannot answer. Indeed, the mystery right. remains. Because, well, she was just really impressed by how, how well represented the faith was. Um, so that's, that's I, cool. I will say though that um, the, around the time period that was being done, I mean that that was uh, late '90s, um, and uh, that was a very strong point for most of the, the crew even back then. Mm-hmm. I know uh, uh, Phil Bricado, for example, has always been extremely passionate about uh, diverse representation in games from Mage Ascension. Um, and a lot of times when uh, we don't really have writers that work on just one game and nothing else, a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll cross borders. Um, all of us uh, in this call have, have worked or have been involved with or are, you know, somehow got their hands dirty on something besides Trinity. So it's very likely that since White Wolf already hired diversity for the World of Darkness uh, at that time period, um, uh, uh, some some misses, but a lot of hits, uh, then, then it's a very good chance that they just simply – someone from that writing pool may have also jumped on the Trinity and helped out with that or acted as a consultants or you know, a 3 a.m. phone call. Like, hey, I have some questions. I need to answer you uh, because you know, there was no internet back then, obviously. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> right. It didn't exist until 2008. That's not <laughs> true. <laughs> it was just in the form of – Live journal in MySpace. Ooh, the old, the I old, have my live the old, the old ways. My Zanga disagrees. <laughs> I, my Russian controlled live journal. Yeah. Speaking about like multiculturalism and all that, that, I actually remember reading through Trinity, the actual Aeon book, uh, going and realizing how decentralized the sort of the canon of the world was. It was very multi. It was very um, multinational um, because you had the Legion that was in Australia. They were from Australia. You had um, all the different uh, different orders from all around the world. You had the uh, which one were the ones from China? The, uh, the Ministry. The Ministry was from China, and you had all these people. And America was like broken up into its own own thing into multiple different i believe in different corporate states type situation yeah. and so it's just this idea that yeah this has become kind of a one world sort of thing and that's just the perspective you have to have in a in a sort of a solar slash galactic uh spanning uh setting like this because you can't just be i'm just an american no you're from earth Absolutely, and I think another thing to, to think about is, uh, again, the zeitgeist of the time period, uh, cyberpunk was just kind of starting to wane, but that late 80s, early 90s era, there was a strong interest in trying to inject more multiculturalism into science fiction conceptually, um, and, and I think I thought it was very telling uh, that, um, you know, Someone like uh, George Alec Effinger, who wrote uh, When Gravity Fails and the Marid Aldran series, which is very clearly not set in Europe. Uh, and then, in fact, you get someone like uh, George Alec Effinger to actually work on, on some of the fiction for, for Trinity was, was really, really, really cool um, because it shows that there's a lot of that – in the air at the time. So, I mean, I think it came out kind of just at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me to see now that a lot of people are are very passionate and interested in this 
for very different reasons. Um, and being able to go back to a property like Trinity and say, we've been doing this for 20 years, and it was very hot then, but it was also very hot in a very specific genre. And now it's becoming more kind of more widely people are interested in this kind of increased diversity. But it's, it's, it's just like you guys say, the kind of that throws this very strong mode of it in things like the World Darkness, in things mm. like Trinity at mm-hmm. that time period. Uh, I definitely have that because one of the things I like about having a game that is very uh, diverse, especially if it's set on sort of a pseudo-realistic modern era, like it's on Earth, you have all the Earth cultures there, is that when I read a book and it's very multicultural, it can give me a perspective on another culture I've never had before. Like, I, just because I'm a busy person, I don't get a lot of exposure or reading. If I read this, they can tell me what some African countries are like or what uh, South American countries are like. And that gives me a, a slightly, a, an inch more broader perspective on the on my world, which is always a good thing, I think. Yeah, if there's one regret I have about the original edition, it's while I understand the plot reasons for uh, the Upe Wamacho, uh, like not being in Africa anymore, it meant that Africa really didn't get a whole lot of coverage like not as in not as in as much detail yeah as the rest of the nations on earth and africa has been underserved in a lot of science fiction so absolutely oh god yeah yeah that that was you know kind of the big one of the big blind spots i i agree uh so i are do i take it by that that you guys are doing something a little different regarding that oh yeah we're (laughs) we're like we're not ignoring like the way the original setup was and it was a great idea for a lot of reasons was you have uh, a, a book describing a Psy order and also the region in which they live, and also here's information on their, their Psy aptitude. And it's great to bundle them like that because if you're a storyteller and, or a player, um, it, it's not like a clan book where, okay, I don't play the Toreador, so I don't need to pick up the Toreador book. In this case, like, oh, well, my character is from Europe, so even though I'm not like a Rex, I can pick up the Europe book. Um, but when they got the t- to the teleporter book, it was Stellar Frontiers. Mm-hmm. So it described all the colonies, and we never really got a lot of detail on Africa. Mm-hmm. So because we're not using that sort of uh, splat book setup this time around, we're we're going to give as much as we can anyway, equal coverage to everywhere on Earth. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that that actually ties into a question that I had regarding uh, the like the splat books and whatnot. I understand that you guys, you know, you, you guys don't really have much of a of a ability to forecast what you'll be able to do. But if you guys were going to do some sort of splat book uh, for the psi orders for for regions and, and areas, how would you do it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if live development right here. Uh... Get your planning hats on, guys. Hold on. Uh, Ian. <laughs> okay. Help. Um, in a lot of ways, the, the old setup of doing, like, the, the whole clan book setup was mm-hmm. good for the old White Wolf days when there was the, the what we call the publishing treadmill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work so well these days, which is why you've seen us do stuff like, okay, here's Lore of the Clans. It's a big 300, 400-page book with all the clan information in it. So if we were going to do something similar for the Psy Orders this time around, it would probably be something more like that. Cool. Where it would be one all-in-one book. One, um, one big fat I mean, book. That, that's not to say we're going to do that. Sure. Uh, I mean, um, since John Snead's the, uh, the developer for, 
for Aeon, he has his own plans. Um, so he might have a different structure in mind for that, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, let's bring it back a little bit. We kind of uh, lost sight of the Kickstarter, as it were, which uh, I got to say, you guys are doing phenomenally. As of right now, uh, you, you guys needed $50,000 and you've raised $118,149. Uh, and we up from the last I checked. Yeah, yes. uh, which is well, just a little over 1,200 backers and you still have 23 days to go, which is amazing, yep. which means you have a lot more momentum to catch and more money to gather, which means you have more fans out there than it was support a fantastic game line eddie i'm sorry go ahead we're we're like 400 dollars away from passing monarchies of foul oh, oh crap. No. i'm sorry eddie <laughs> <laughs> well it just proves that space is more popular than cats so i have this fake rivalry with neil price <laughs> um i call it fake because both of us recognize that uh we are peers in this industry and and neither one of us is necessarily better than the other but we like to pretend um, and uh, I told him that I was going to be really upset if the Trinity Kickstarter didn't do as well as Scion because then it would prove that his game is better than, than ours. Yeah, they are kind of siblings in that because they both use the story path system, um, right. just different iterations of it, as it, oh, as it were. Yeah, but they're also very different games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually had a question about that. Um, since, uh, you know, since, since they're going to be, yeah, they're both, they're very different iterations about what have been the challenges of, you know, ad- adaptation of a core system over to obviously a very, you know, it didn't it, it didn't start with you. You didn't build it from the ground up, but you have you have to right. adapt it. Or did you? I don't I genuinely don't know. Uh, well, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> so when and, and this is actually like I wrote a little blurb about this. So, you know, ooh, backer update preview. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um but when, when Ian first started doing Trinity, he was very excited. We're going to do Trinity. have all the setting stuff ready. And Rich was like, yeah, but I want to do something other than Storyteller because it doesn't really fit very well and also IP. <laughs> and so we need to make our own in-house system that is amazing and awesome and recognizable, but also uh, traditional because we do traditional games, but also innovative because people like innovative and, you know, he had a lot of requirements and criteria and the people who were working on that system were having a, I don't want to say a hard time meeting his criteria, but it was in a roadblock and Trinity had started getting written and Scion had not started getting written, but everything needed a system. Neil took over system development and story path, which for a long time was codenamed Sardonyx. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're hey, clever. it's a real stone, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Steven Universe but, has taught us that, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that eventually, like, came to the light of day, and I worked on that. And, like, there was a huge team of people all banging our heads on how do we make the system the best? And some of it, Neil going, I want this aspect, and us going, Neil, you, you, you said that, but then I gave it to you, and then you said that's not what you wanted, but it's literally what you asked for. Uh, <laughs> but you're not bitter. Going, I want uh, I'm not bitter. <laughs> and there was a lot of me going, hey, Neil, that's not going to work. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then, like, three months later, he's like, dude, you were right. I'm tired <laughs> of saying that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um <laughs> And then, and then we, then he 
started doing Scion, and he's like, yeah, we have the story path system, and we're going to apply it to Scion. And I was like, great, you're doing that over there. Trinity needs it applied to Trinity. And so, yeah, we had to take this story path system, which was written mostly with Scion in mind, because when Neil was developing it, he was also, I am going to be developing Scion, so I need this to work for Scion. And so Ian actually did a lot of massaging of the system uh, to give it to the writers and say, like, these are some things I, I had to add in specifically for Trinity, like dramatic editing and some other core elements of the base system. And then play like then the writers took that and started doing their their things. Uh, but the core system itself still hadn't been written in a digestible format because essentially the the file that we had that was labeled sardonics was like a frankenstein <laughs> of like hodgepodge systems and subsystems just kind of shoved into oh, oh my god spaces. do i know that so well <laughs> <laughs> and and so i sent it over to a writer she uh tara zuber who is pretty amazing and she took that frankenstein and made a real boy <laughs> and um and that became the story path trinity system and then Neil saw that and was like, oh, man, yours is better than mine. I got to fix it. And then he was like, can I just take it and put Tara's name on Scion? I was like, I'm sure she won't mind. We already <laughs> paid her for the words. And her name will go on two books. And he's like, great. So then he took that and then he just kept emailing me with this like, hey, this doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, crap, you're right. It doesn't work. Let's fix it. And then we were just back and forth, back and forth. And then every now and then I'd have to send john an email and go okay we fixed this entire subsystem and now you have to change aeon because of it oh, no. uh, right oh. and then he'd be like well oh my head shit. hurts <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and i mean to give john credit he's just like a fucking trooper he would just be yeah. like hey man i did the thing you asked me to do here's the results and i noticed that this doesn't work now so you got to fix your end too and i'm like oh man you're amazing <laughs> Thank you so much. And Ryan, so you would know happened. nothing about this, right? Rapid action development is its a core tenet of software development. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can see how much I'm so nodding. Rapid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, that's kind of like that back and forth happened for a while. And then that's kind of Eddie's role in all of this where Eddie came in and went, okay, at this point we have Scion, we have Trinity, and also we have They Came From Beneath the Sea, and they're all using StoryPath, and there's these minor differences when I made a change and Neil didn't, or Matthew made a change, but we didn't make it on Scion or Trinity, or Eddie kind of wrote the system for They Came From Beneath the Sea, and he was like, oh, I'm noticing this works really well, we should change everything to that. He's like, you know what, why don't I just go through all of the systems? And make sure they all have the core story path feel mm -hmm. and like some of the basic mechanics are all the same. The skeleton is there. Yeah. And, and the skeleton was there. Just there were some small tweaks that needed like how does defense work and how does, you know, how does this other small like armor work and how does damage work and right. in different systems. Yeah. Cause, cause one, th uh, one thing that uh, I noticed when I kind of came in is that, um, uh, uh, it was actually really good. The system developed the way it did because 
Trinity and Sam, both the kind of the, the, the outer edges of the box we're looking at. Um, the, the flexibility of playing characters through multiple different timelines and, and the diversity of character concepts in Trinity, it can handle all of that. But also, it can just scale up to superhuman gods. And so, But the thing is, is like, like Daniel was kind of alluding to, each side was kind of really thinking about the system from their perspective, which they should be. As a developer, that's your job. You, you have your project in front of you. You really need to be focused on that. And the fact that these guys were collaborating so well was amazing but also no one was really saying okay what does the system need as, as, as a collective cohesive distinct unit um so to kind of kind of use the uh, the software analogy no one was really developing the core of the software everyone's working on all the branches um so uh that's why i kind of stepped in and i just kind of standardized a lot of things like that. so it was mostly tweaks um uh, and just little bits of polish you know like hey you know this seems like this is a, a rant you guys want this thing to kind of work a certain way here how do we go how, how do we just kind of make it across the board and, and so we we're able to kind of do that go through scion and and adjust things so the quality of life issues that scion can inherit from the stuff we learned from trinity and they came um and then i was able to kind of go with uh, john and danielle and same thing it's okay you know like ranges are different names across games let's just standardize those um you know let's use the same terminology for the core mechanics um and then now that i'm developing uh uh, uh rising i'm also kind of thinking okay well, how can this work for post-apocalyptic um and, and and so we had another set of conversations but we're definitely now at the let's tweak this little thing that gets a ton of benefit for across all the games, but the actual core system is 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 amazingly solid and incredibly flexible, and that's one thing that I like to talk about when we discuss the story path systems. It's not a generic system by stretch of the imagination. You can't pick up Scion and identically use those exact same rules to play Trinity. Trinity is going to be its own unique beast. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've played Scion and then you pick up Trinity, you're going to be familiar with 85% of the core rules. It's like, oh, okay, I know how dice work in this. That character looks very familiar. I just have to learn how talents and and psi works in this game, as opposed to how uh, boons and and like work in, in uh, Scion, and I can just go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and there's definitely some, you know, when you ask, like, you have to take, you know, we took Story Path from Sardonyx and adapted it to Trinity and to Scion. But then we kind of backpedaled our work on Trinity and Scion into Story Path. And right. so it was this weird, like, oh, you know, adapting a system into a game, which is what you asked. Yeah, we did that. But we also then adapted the system <laughs> from what we, you know, hey. from those adaptations. So we kind of, like... By working it and massaging it and making it fit into one place, we kind of made everything else better at the same time. It's a weird way to do design, but one of the things I liked about that approach in retrospect is a lot of times when you're designing a system that's meant to work for multiple different products, it feels a bit um, uh, 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 stayed. It feels a bit, bit canned because it's meant to be – you're trying to think about everything, and so you end up thinking about nothing. Whereas mm -hmm. because we had this being developed by two very live games, we were able to bring a lot of the, the, the flavor and the dynamism of both those games back into the core system, and then the other games now benefit from that. Because these are systems that had not been designed in abstract and then applied to a game. These systems that had been battle-tested in those games' designs, and then now the core system inherits that. And that's kind of what I'm thinking going forward. As we continue to make more games on StoryPath, I'm going to continue to you know look at the core document and go, okay, you know, how can we bring 
this explanation in Dystopia Rising works way better, you know, or mm -hmm. this approach to how we discuss the system in They Came is really, really good. Uh, so that way we're constantly pull, you know, the, the core system's constantly evolving and tweaking and modifying and, and, and growing by the front the benefit of actual live products as opposed to a kind of here is the Bible implement. It's something I wanted to bring up. Sorry, I apologize if I interrupted yeah, anyone. No, you're fine. Uh, no, the, you're fine. <clears throat> one of the things I, I really enjoyed is just the idea, because we've talked about this on the show before, is the idea of the, the system and the setting working in tandem to each other to inform. And you're kind of doing that uh, from yes. what it sounds like. It's like, oh, we made this setting. It's really cool, and we think the system works. And then we use this core system, try to put... Tab, tab A into slot B, and it doesn't fit exactly right, and that way you, then you adjust it to where it does fit exactly right, and then when you look back at it, it's even a better product than you had before, oh, which is, mm -hmm. is great quality control in my, my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, a lot of the times the question, the, the changes to the system became again, this this kind of core, what is, what is the system telling the players that they do in the game? And this game is different from Scion, so we need to tweak, you know, Trinity is more, it's a, you know, like Scion, you've, you've got a lot of abstract, abstracting mm -hmm. because you're, you're godlike beings who, who can succeed on minute tasks with the flick of a finger because you're demigods or you're, you know, at least heroes and then demigods. Um, but in Trinity, you know, your base level character is just a lucky person um and yeah they'll succeed on a lot of stuff but maybe not the same at the same scale as a a scion would and so there there's a lot more uh minutiae in the system of trinity because there needs to be mm -hmm. because there's more gradients on what you can and can't do um at certain levels of of play and so we had to say yeah you're gonna you're going to do a lot more planning and procedural action and a lot more nitty-gritty back and forth in combat than you will in Scion because Scion is telling you to play the game in a little bit different way. And that, that's really interesting because, like, thinking a little bit ahead to the future, uh, thinking about Aberrant, um, you know, you have characters that operate like you just mentioned, uh, you know, the, 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 the Scion heroes and, and gods working on, you know, big power, a lot like, you know, uh, that yep. sort of thing. So you, you kind of see, we're seeing a little bit into the future at the, at the same time we're dealing with the, the, the present here. Yes. Uh, and Aberrant will probably follow uh, a little closer to the way Scion uses scale mm -hmm. and adjust scale with powers instead of giving, say, like enhancements or dice bonuses, um, because it is a bigger power level whenever you're playing a Nova versus playing a Talent. Or even a psi, like a scion with psi power. So you will start, you will see that system switch, like in aberrant. Yeah, that that's that that kind of leads into another another thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, and uh, I I see that the stretch goal regarding the uh, the aberrants and aberrant cults got got achieved, which I'm I'm super excited about. Woohoo! Uh, because like. As much as I love the original uh, Trinity Aeon uh, game, like one thing that I always felt was never really touched upon in a in a really major way were the aberrants was was the enemy. Uh, we had a lot of aliens. We had a lot of like you know Earth, Earth human conflict, um, but we we never really got anything 
big about what the aberrants were up to and what they were doing. So I'm I'm really glad to see that stretch goal because that that excites me. Um, yeah. I actually have a mechanical question for you guys with the addition of momentum and sort of um, consequences. Co- consequences. Yeah, I think it was. Um, oh no, it's another word. It's consolation. Consolation. Con- ah, that's it. it Thank you. I'm a smart person. Um, oh yeah. Will Scion and Aberrant powers work off momentum or will there be the old Psy and quantum pools that we will see? You, you'll see Psy and quantum pools. I was just uh, curious because I, as soon as I saw the mechanics of what Scion's going to be operating her, I saw all about the momentum and all that. And I was like, I wonder if that's how they're going to do it. Yeah. So um, momentum is specifically an out of game conceit. Okay. Um, it is a reward for failing. Uh, it is, it is you, you did not succeed in rolling the dice to move the story forward. So even if you don't succeed to, on the dice roll, the the story still moves forward. It just adds maybe a, a, a kink in it, um, because you didn't succeed in your role. And so maybe now you need to do more rolling to try to, or more acting to try to get past whatever, you know, problem you just brought up with your failed role. But for the most part, you're going to, you're going to act. You're never going to fail to act. It's just your action may cause you to have consequences. And so the consolation for that is momentum and the momentum that you build affects the entire party. And so it makes people better in the future. So, and it, but it's a completely out of character conceit of, oh, you know, I'm, God, I'm at the table and all I'm doing is like rolling ones and <laughs> I, all of my dice hate me and it's I can't roll knife. above a three on a D10. It's just not my night. <laughs> but I'm building up this momentum for the group and they can use it mostly for adding dice to dice pools, mm-hmm. uh, but also for fueling skill tricks in trinity Mm -hmm. um so that is how you fuel your very special skill tricks and skill tricks often there's a lot of rules conceits in story path like we generally don't add dice to dice pools you're it's a skill plus an attribute and that's it and then if you want to modify that actions ability or role or whatever you add enhancement an enhancement is successes after the fact. So I, I roll at least one success, I get some enhancement that adds more successes uh, to see if I succeeded, which is better than adding dice, actually. Oh, yeah. But it's different, right? Yeah, mm, very much so. But nothing adds dice. Nothing. Except for skill tricks and momentum. Cool. And momentum-based things. I'm actually now very intrigued. I want to see where the system goes from there. So another another systems question is something I, I noticed in one of the preview documents that I, I don't think it's been detailed yet, but like it just raised a huge question in my mark in my head. What's the black pool? Ooh. Oh, so that should be actually well described in what you already have, and it's not because it is um, it is your momentum pool. Ah, <laughs> okay. All it is, um, it is an artifact of the term Blackpool because the story guide was intended to have a red pool, mm-hmm. which was yeah. their own momentum-like stuff that they could use to make their bad guys a little better. Yeah. Um, that got added mostly when you, uh, let, mostly when you majorly succeeded or if you did something that like triggered it. But then we decided that we didn't really need that 
and that the story guide could just kind of like do what he wants do what he wants <laughs> yeah. and we didn't really need that and so the red pool went away but the term black pool is like an artifact that kind of got stuck uh, around but it's literally just the pool of momentum um for the game well i am now no longer confused thank you Thank you for clarifying. Um, actually, uh, now that we've talked a little bit about the system, which thank you very much for that, I want to go a little bit back to the setting. Um, and since there's three of you, uh, I wanted to go around and get your guys' take on what is, if you guys can mention, it's okay if you can't, because we understand how these things work. For each of you, in each of the three eras that we're going to have, Adventure, Aberrant, and, and Aeon, What's the cool sort of new thing that that you you're gonna that people are likely to see? Something that they will be really intrigued to see. Well, I'm gonna start by saying that we can't really tell you for aberrant and adventure because okay. those things haven't been written yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think I was shooting for the moon on that question. All right. All right. Well, two thirds done. Then good job, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm the only one who really has like sort of plans for wherever an adventure are going to differ from the rest and uh, yeah i'm not going to talk about any of that yet <laughs> fair enough spoilers uh, <clears throat> then for aeon then what's what's a cool new thing for aeon or the modern era sort of setting that you guys are intrigued by that you think the audience will get a kick out of one thing i really like that this is this was like one of my my key things we need to get this in there is the the Aeon era is supposed to be about unity. The setting material always described uh, like, oh, if you have to fight an aberrant, you're going to need a, a team of scions to go up against them. But mechanically, there was never really anything beyond like, oh, you need a team to fight this guy because they're powerful. But borrowing a little bit from how uh, Orpheus's powers worked, you can now sort of tie different aptitudes together uh, to sort of boost each other's powers. Me and Scott are giving us Every, the hardest look at each other right now. Even even my eyebrows went up a little bit. Because that I, sounds rad as hell. Yes. It's Combo powers. Cool. That's amazing. You heard it here, folks. Polyhedron. Woo! <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it, that uh, those previews should start coming out um, in a couple of weeks, I think. So I, I don't think that has been mentioned to the public yet. Although, ages ago on RPGNet, when people were saying, like, what do we want to see about the new edition, that was one of the things people were bringing up. So I'm delighted to tell those people you were right. Um, <laughs> That's right, as I'll get out. Like, it, the, the freeform size system in the, um, in the um, player's guide, had did it, if, I, if I recall correctly, didn't have something kind of like that? Uh, sort of. That worked yeah. more like uh, Mage's Spheres, where if you right. wanted to do a certain effect, you would mm -hmm. have to sort of combine aptitudes to do a thing. Right. But in this case, it's it's more inspired by Orpheus, where, let's say, don't know any specific examples, so I'm just sure. going to make something up. Like, mm -hmm. let's say you're a teleporter, uh, and you, you link up with one of your buddies. Now, they their range has been doubled because they're linked up with you. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So you're not you're not sort of combining powers in the same way that the freeform system did, but it's it's just sort of boosting each other. Yeah. By being in the group, you're sort of able to just amplify everything you can do for everyone else around you. Right. Yeah. Whatever your aptitude is, you can apply it to the group, like a special bonus to the group based on your aptitude. Oh, neat. 
That's really cool. I can I can already my my head's starting to spin with possibilities <laughs> as, as far as that's concerned. Uh, but, uh, uh, Danielle and, and Eddie, do you have a, do you either of you have anything you're particularly jazzed about getting out there? Uh, one thing that I'm I'm really digging is the fact that uh, Ian extremely early on wanted to divorce power level from setting. Um, so that way, as opposed to we're playing adventures, so all you can play are daredevils. We have different variety, and one, so one thing I always liked about Aeon is the fact that we talked about you know, the diversity, and there's a lot of other options here. But because of the nature of the game, the characters you're playing tend to skew to slightly more powerful. So you don't really have a chance to see what the people at the, the ground level are really doing a whole lot. And now we can, because if you decide to just play a talent in Aeon, you know, you're not, you're not to use a 40k example. You're not all playing uh, uh, Imperial Stormtrooper or you know the Imperial guys. You, know, you could play that the Imperial Guard, the police, or you know the, the criminals. Um, and the fact that we, we can explore different parts of this world from a, from a, from a different perspective can do things like you know Altered Carbon is the current hotness. You know the idea that Altered Carbon has this really you know there's distant worlds and all stuff going on, but also you can play at that street level. You know, and have to get to a gunfight, and that's actually something meaningful that you can still play and not have to worry about dumbing down the system to do that. <laughs> uh, for Danielle, Sorry. what about you? What would you like to showcase? Um, so for uh, so I'm actually just really excited about a, a fucking contemporary modern setting, right? Like, mm-hmm. I like I like that Aberrant is set in the near future mm-hmm. um i like that about it because it's like oh all of the setting stuff you can be like ah it's practically like it is today only maybe it's a little more hopeful maybe you know maybe some great things happened in the intervening years fingers crossed that may- <laughs> yeah fingers crossed right like maybe the Mueller investigation went buck wild who knows right? <laughs> uh, but you know, it, so that's kind of cool, but you're also playing characters who are like superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I really like the idea of this like very modern day setting. It's pretty much, uh, you know, leverage, or it's pretty much the the like boots on the ground, do gooder group of people, or heist, or whatever. But it's, um, but it's very flexible to be able to like, man. I've always wanted to run a game like X, mm-hmm. and now I can. Yeah, I'm I'm really um, looking forward to seeing more about the modern setting because you know obviously that's that's the one that doesn't have like the big nostalgia button for for old school fans. Right. Uh, but right. I'm I'm curious to see what's in there and like how it how how we sort of bridge the gap between adventure and Aeon. What's the sprinkling of the setting from the past and the future that's going to be right. put in there that we're all like, oh, I know that, I know that's a thing right. that's going to be a thing. Right. Right, and I'm, and that's, I think my, my, partially because you know I did the most work on that book specifically, um, but I, I just really like that this is something nobody's seen before, right? You, you do have the big nostalgia button on Aeon where it's like, oh well, this thing's a little bit different, or this thing's been, you know, brought from the '90s into the 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 twenty teens. Mm. Um, <laughs> what do you even call this? Decade. Uh, oh, it's part two. On fire. Oh, oh, it's part, part two. two. <laughs> the, the twenty on fire. The fire years. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
but this is okay. Well, you'll recognize some stuff from adventure. You will, yep. but you'll also see a bunch of stuff that you don't recognize from adventure because it's set in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, it's something that a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm not really interested in it, but I think that when they read like the setting part, they'll be like, Oh no, now I have all these ideas. Yeah. Now I have all these, I know super, super looking forward to that. And I know you were, you guys have also mentioned that, you know, that we're going to get more settings than just the three tent pole, uh, potentially. Um, uh, our minds think alike here. Yeah. Um, which I know I'm, I'm really interested in the, the what's been described as the anima setting with which is between the, the aberrant war and the Trinity era. That that sounds really cool. Like, do you guys have anything you want to talk about? Say about that. It's it's set in 2084. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's uh, those of you who saw the Total Recall reboot. I think that was also 2084. Hmm. The Remember Me game by Don't Nod, uh, the same people that made um, Life is Strange. Yep. That was set in 2084. So was Robotron. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, Google Robotron 2084. You'll be very mad at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so it, it deals with a lot of the things that Total Recall and Remember Me and that sort of thing do. Uh, that sort of the, the memory implant tech. Also, um, the stuff like the Matrix, obviously, with the pods mm-hmm. and the like the, the stuff in the back of the head. Like, yep. I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, so... In, in sort of the aftermath of the Aberrant War, as people are rebuilding, uh, some of them lead to, like, they, they go to escapism, to, like, I, I'm going to have a little adventure in, in on, on Mars. Um, so that they this is where the, the memory tech implants become much, much more popular. And uh, there's, there's a reason in the Aeon era that people are really, really wary about hard tech implants and we're, we're laying the groundwork for that. You know, that, that sounds That's... like some ghost in the shell level weirdness. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Existentialist. Like that's where you get your existential question of who are you? What makes right. you, you that that's like, really cool. Uh, what and... happens if uh, like a remnant aberrant, like maybe starts rewriting some of your memories. Ugh. You're not going to know Ugh. it. No, thank you. No, thank right? you. Yeah, that yeah. that's really intriguing. And something something that Eddie mentioned actually made me think of something that I wanted to to, to bring up to you, you know about how you know um, you there was not a lot of a diversity amongst the eras. Um, you know, something where the original setting was going was the 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 whole process four one eight uh, plot line, which you know would have eventually seen like all sorts of different character types being able to be played. Uh, has there any been discussions about like maybe that being its own like mini setting? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, just the way we're doing a on this time around, um, sort of obviates the need for a process for one eight. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I can see that. Well, uh, process. Process 418, the, the original vision, if you read it, it's uh, like it was originally in Luna Rising. Mm-hmm. And it seems to indicate more like, hey, the coalition is coming towards Earth. Right. I mean, that is still a thing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Venezuelan phenomenon where there was another Hammersmith style explosion that happened, we don't need that so much. All right, then. That sounds... I, I can concede that because the systems are already built around everyone working together, and we already know setting-wise that you got Scions, Aberrants do exist still, uh, Novas still exist in that time period, and you still have uh, Paramorphs running around 
just under right. the radar. Talents. Because, yeah, talents, mm-hmm. sorry, uh, are still running around doing stuff, but they're just not quantifiable because you can't, re- it's really hard to quantify that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. But I, I think I think it's such a good way to kind of dig into one thing when we're approaching this is that, uh, as we mentioned, all games are functionally canon because of the multiverse. Um, but this kind of core spine that we're developing, uh, it is in a lot of ways, uh, a kind of a soft reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, we can't have our near future game set in the distant time of 2008 anymore. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously we have to uh, uh, reimagine a couple things. But I mean, Ian's been very, very good through all this entire process, making sure that any changes we make either are natural conclusions in the setting or look akin to stuff that people are familiar to so that way you're, it's not going to be completely different it's going to be stuff that's going to if you're a fan of the original stuff you're very much going to like the stuff that we're coming out with um but some like some details may get massaged or tweaked because like 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 ian said it's just not necessary because of the current approach we're taking or because we have to shift timelines around so things may fall off the radar um uh, i don't think we're going to have uh, a detailed wrestling federation this time around as much as i would personally oh love man that, that was so cool <laughs> So, I mean, things like that, you know, there are going to be shifts and things. But again, because of, of the multiverse approach we have, if you love the original material, there's no reason why you can't adapt the original material story path and start playing with all of that stuff either. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, the other setting that I want to talk to beyond the core four little setting books that we've talked about so far is the one I'm really interested in uh, that was told to me was basically Aegis. Um, which is, yeah. for what has been explained to me, is essentially sword and sandals using the, the story path and, and Trinity sort of uh, it's prehistory stuff. So like your scions are kind of like sorcerers and your novas are basically your representation of gods. I was like, sign me up. I'm buying that book right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, in, the, uh, in the original edition of Adventure, uh, when Dr. Promaris is writing his journals, as he did uh, several points in the intro. Uh, one of the things he he mentioned was, "Hey, I think uh, inspired like us, maybe we've already we've always existed. Uh, daredevils, what we call daredevils, might once have been like ancient heroes. What we now call mesmerists might have been sorcerers, and what we call novas, sorry, what we call stalwarts, well, we would have been gods." So I said, all right, that sounds cool. Let's do that. <laughs> just, just make that happen. That, that, yep. that does sound really... I actually, I actually uh, played in an adventure game that uh, that played with that idea uh, a little bit. It was it was really fun to uh, to to play around in that with that idea. We were just develop. We were discovering ancient relics of the past that made a little bit too much sense to us. <laughs> And all talked about the details of it. I mean, one thing that I think is interesting is because there, there's very much a, uh, clearly a draw from uh, the Robert E. Howard um, the tradition of the 70s pulp fantasy, 60s pulp fantasy, um, uh, drawing from the same time period as the, the modern day pulp of adventure. So the fact that mesmerists map to sorcerers and whatnot, there's actually a very interesting tweak there in fact we can use identical systems if we were to develop them along that little path and then just say cool but now it's set in you know ancient times uh, it, it actually reflects that genre more accurately than making an objectively fantasy system mm-hmm. see what I'm saying mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, we are running a little long but I want to get to the Q&A from our chat we got a couple questions we've curated well, before we do I have, uh, I have one short question okay that, short question because I, I, I can't not I, I can't let the joke die does he have <laughs> arms 
Divis Bell does have arms. Oh, Yay! Good. Then I'll, I'll. That's it. I'm done. I'm pe- I'm pulling out my 15 bucks. I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that's such a great joke. Such a great it, thing of the past. Uh, I can't be- I, like I can't believe how stupid that original post was, and then the brilliance of the response just rings throughout the decades. It's good to Divis Bell has. And continues to have arms. Yay. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he always will. All, all is well, then. He can have as many or as few arms as he wishes to have. That's right. <laughs> okay, so we got some questions from the chat, which I think are pretty good. Um, give me just one quick second, because I have to pull some stuff up. Because I have to weed out the bad from the good. I'm not going to try to pronounce this screen name, because it's indecipherable. Hey, Ryan, fan, fan fancy forever fancy forever whatever i said are there any plans uh for stuff to be in the am expansion that isn't added by the stretch goals uh, i think he's probably talking about extra books that kind of stuff well no the, the am expansion is a is a it supplementary is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. book that's part of the kickstarter that's right i'm sorry i apologize about that uh, the planned content of the aeon expansion is just whatever stretch goals we hit so there's nothing like it's it wasn't going to be its own thing before stretch goals Gotcha. So, it's, so a, a, as it stands, it's going to be Vargs and Aberrants and Aberrant Cults. For the moment, yes. Cool. We have uh, a lot of other stretch goals plans that, that will fit into it. But yeah, really, it, the, the Aberrant expansion is functionally the, here's where we put the stretch goals into one book. That's cool. Uh, the other question from the exact same user, because he was being very diligent in the chat, um, but I think I think I can we can answer this ourselves. Um also, is he ever? Uh, if we ever get around to there, will Aeon have rules for psyads that could be used in the modern day, or the topic, or the topic of eventually in other supplements? So that's sort of like different things being in different eras. And it sounds like for me that the story path system is designed that you can just throw them wherever you yep. want them to be. Did he say psyons yep. or psyads? Because psy- psyads, psyads oh, are the naturally occurring psyads. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Scions are what you get when you dunk someone in a Prometheus chamber, and a Syad is someone who just sort of manifests naturally. Uh, so there there will be rules for Syads, but I don't think they're going to be an Aeon. So I that'll believe be something... they're a planned stretch goal. Really? I oh, your wallets, oh, kids. Guys, money. Start That's throwing more money. I want Syads. <laughs> a lot of money. Yes. So so I think, I think what we're trying to dance around here is that, yes, you'll be able to play X-Men. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Nee, 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 nee. Sorry, that, that immediately popped in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, if you do it any more bars, though, we have to pay, so stop. <laughs> right, exactly, I know. <laughs> two, two is good. Uh, I think we got like one or two more questions, and then we'll wrap it on up. Um, uh, go, uh, go313 asks, uh, will we see many of the same uh, NPCs in the various settings? Like, obviously, Dr. Primoris was an adventure, and then he became Divis. We found out he used to Divis Small in the Aberrant era, and he was still Divis Small in the Aeon era. He never so, really showed back up, though. No. Anyway. I, wonder, I wonder what happened to him. Hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the question was that are we going to see a lot of the same NPCs as from first edition? Sorry, Danielle, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, like, we'll see, like, Maxwell Mercer. Uh, across all the lines and we'll see certain people but i'll let ian elaborate on that (laughs) like all of the like the people you're familiar with like the proxies the proxies are all the same um uh yeah max mercer uh, like obviously the in the modern era there it's hard to pin down because i think aside from 
Count Raphael Orzes, who was Raul Orzes' father. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember aren't any that. NPCs mentioned that have ever appeared before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, by and large, if there's any particular NPC that you liked from a previous edition, they're probably still around. Um, all the major ones will be, but, like, minor ones, like, I don't know, like Sloppy Joe. Like, <laughs> we might not mention him, but if you really want him in the setting, he'll, he's there. Uh, I, he need, we need some fa- we just need some art in the book with just him in the background. That's all we need. He doesn't need to be statted up or anything, just in the background. Yep. I have I haven't thought about Sloppy Joe in probably ten years. They, these great. guys know their stuff. This they do, is why yeah. they're writing the books. Oh yeah. Not. <laughs> God, that guy was terrifying. Yes, he was. <laughs> but he was a nice guy. He sure. Just, no, he wasn't. No, no, he yeah, he had problems. <laughs> he had issues. Um, okay, so everyone, thank you very much for coming out and being in the chat. Um, thank you guys, Ian, Danielle, Eddie. Thank you guys very, very much for coming out and being on the show and giving us this wonderful information about your Kickstarter. Uh, don't worry, everyone. I will make sure to absolutely put a link to their Kickstarter in the show notes, as well as when I uh, when I actually release this episode, you will see lots of spamming from the Polyhedron cast uh, Twitter account. But before we go, uh, if you guys, if people want to get in touch with you in a legitimate way, what is a good way for people to get in touch with you guys? Well, I can be found, uh, my personal Twitter is uh, Von Aether, V-O-N-A-E-T-H-E-R. And I also run the Onyx Path Twitter account, which is just the Onyx Path. Uh, as for me, um, uh, I am just about every social media network under Eddie Fate, E-D-D-Y-F-A-T-E. Um, that's also my personal blog slash website. Um, and if people are interested in uh, uh, my professional output as well as my creator-owned things like Pugmire, uh, that can all be found at my company's website, pugsteady.com. Mm-hmm. And Danielle? I'm I'm a Luddite, and I don't very much social media. I'm imperniest on Twitter, but I almost never use it. Um, and you can probably best get in touch with me by following me on Facebook, of all places. Um, <laughs> it's for old people I, now. Yeah. Live <laughs> journal. Hey. Also imperniest is. on Live Journal. I'm pointing at <laughs> myself here, okay? <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, Daniel is on Harper on Facebook, and that's pretty much the social media that I use, and I'm not good at promoting myself by having a website. I have a company website, but <laughs> I haven't updated in like a year, so please don't go there. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, the internet's just going to go there now. That's just how that yeah, works. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Traffic spike. Find it. Scott, They're going to hack it. Oh. They're going to like make it nice that would be great if you want to do that go for it it's a nice hack yeah yeah it's a nice that it's happens, a happy right? hack like, we're helping happens, you right? they yeah. update the website for you like yeah. you get out so go. people break it to your house and redecorate for you mm-hmm. yes oh man that's a character concept right there i'm doing it down <laughs> Uh, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Divismallcav uh, on the Twitters, uh, and you know uh, it, it's where I get it. It's it's been been that way for a real long time. Oh, and before I go, Eddie, I, I had an idea for you because you you were lamenting about the the various levels of Kickstarters and whatnot, because uh, uh, you know people like cat space more than cats. Cats in space. Cats in space. Ah, think about yeah. it. Think about it. Rainbow's following after them. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. I, the the monarchies of Mao in space. That's, okay, so that's Dune. Sure, Dark. Dark. 
Yeah. Cav- Cavaliers of Mal. Yeah. Cavaliers of Mal, yeah. Cavaliers of Mal. That's a but there's actually a, a running joke between Rose and I um, that Cavaliers of Mars and Pugmire are actually in the same universe because man left and all went to Mars and never told the dogs. Oh. Or the cat. Or the cat. Left them all. Well, the cat's well, the cats bro- care. They're just like, whatever. I'm shoot sure. shoot the Mew. Shoot the Mew. That's all I got. Shoot, shoot the Mew. All right, Ryan, where can people find uh, you? I'm at Arduous, R J U O U S. Um, and uh, always, uh, I am at BioImportance. You can find the show at Polyhedron Cast. If you have any feedback for us, both bad and good, and you want to email us, go to polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. Also, um, if you guys really like the show and you really want to help us out, just like I said at the beginning of the show, you can become a patron today. Go to patreon.com slash polyhedron and think about kicking us a few dollars. It really helps us expand our ability to do stuff. We can go mobile. We can start doing more content for you. Yes, really, really soon. Now that we're done with the Trinity stuff, we are going to get to Shadowrun and you will eventually get Shadowrun Anarchy from us. Keith. You can hear them. Just just sucking air through their teeth when I do things. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah, Why just, we're, we're still upset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you better be. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I believe that's everything. Give us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you want, because that's apparently how the world works these and days. I, I, if you do it, I applaud you and we'll read it out online uh, on air, because guess what? It's a pain. iTunes is a pain in the ass to do it, and it's probably about as... E- Bad I, st- on I still haven't figured out how to do it on Stitcher. Uh, it's it's annoying. So, but if you can do it and you do do it, thank you very much. Um, but from everyone here at Polyhedron, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice.